Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. A series we're doing is called Collision, and we're talking about all these times that Jesus collided with humanity, which is really the book of John is just kind of a a snapshot. We talked about this. Uh, We're going chapter by chapter through this whole book and um, kind of giving a real picture of of what God looks like. Uh, We see how he interacted with different people in different situations, and he helped people and, and led people to Christ and did some wonderful things, but the book of John is just a real clear description of what he did. Today, uh, in our Bible study, we're in the book of John, we're in chapter 8. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament, chapter 8. We started with chapter 8 the last time we were together in the series, and we're going to actually finish chapter 8 today. Um, let me just say this about, about well, let's tell you what, let me, let's pick up real quick where we're at, and then we'll talk about what we're going to do today. <clears throat> you remember the beginning of John chapter 8? Jesus is confronted with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, okay? And it was a really big deal. Uh, we talked about this last time. Those of you that have listened online or you listen to our podcast or, or watched uh, our live stream and, and, and if you want to go back and take notes on this, this is some really good stuff. She's caught in the act of adultery and the, uh, the law at that time said, you know what, if, if you're doing this, the payment was, was death. And what happens is, is Jesus is confronted with this, and the religious people at the time are trying to fool him and trick him, and, and uh, basically he uh, makes it pretty clear to them that, you know what, um, you've sinned too, so you better really be careful. And, and all the people that accused him, or accused her, end up believing. And, and Jesus is there with the woman, and he's looking forward to the cross, and he's already forgiving her. And, and we kind of mentioned this, and I'll just say it again because I think it's worth saying at the end of the conversation Jesus has with this woman, and, and I believe that there's probably more dialogue than what's written. Sometimes we read a story, that's not everything they said, there was more dialogue there. But Jesus tells her, you know what, don't, don't live like this anymore. Now, we have to always remember the subject, the topic of grace versus works. I believe she becomes a Christian. After she becomes a Christian in that moment, he says, okay, don't, don't be like this anymore, right? You're a child of the king, you're, you're, you're a believer now, you don't have to act like that anymore. Had she not become a Christian, he would have been telling her to have a works gospel. Stop sinning so that you can come and be with me in heaven for eternity, right? So uh, as a Christian, we want to grow and we want to do the right things, and that's part of it. But we'd never mix works with salvation, with the, with the message of grace. And so, and so where are they? Let's just kind of remember. Well, they were at a Jewish feast, uh, Feast of the Tabernacles. Do you remember what we talked about that feast was? Uh, the feast was, was them remembering the time that they wandered through Egypt and how they needed water and God provided water, how God led them uh, in the daytime and in the nighttime by a pillar of fire and a pillar uh, of this light. And so they remember all that they went through. But kind of the end of chapter 7 and and chapter 8 here, let me just say this. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of dialogue that's taking place. When you and I read that dialogue today, because we live in the year 2023, 
because we're not Jewish, I don't know, maybe there's some Jewish people here today, but because we don't practice Judaism, because we're not in Jerusalem, we're not in the temple, we're not understanding that, a lot of the dialogue that happens, let's say at the end of chapter 8, doesn't really make a lot of sense to us today because we're not living back in that day. Um, It's like, imagine this. Imagine if um, you were talking to a tree farmer and someone around here, a lot of people do it, a lot of people plant trees. We just planted a whole bunch of trees at our church. Um, uh, But imagine a tree farmer, someone that's planting trees and let's just say they have a, a Christmas tree farm and you're talking to them about Christmas trees and about what it takes to keep them, you know, fresh and, and what to do when you cut them down and how to keep them from drying out. And, and then when you bring the dead tree into your house to celebrate Christmas, how to keep it looking green and how to decorate it and how to keep it standing up. And imagine, just imagine, imagine you're talking to a Christmas tree farmer in our lobby. Just imagine. And the Christmas tree farmer is talking to you about Christmas trees and evergreens, and he's standing there in the middle of our lobby where our our huge Christmas tree just got put up. They're going to finish decorating it. Kids, yes, don't worry. The train is coming. We're going to have the Christmas train on the track. Don't worry. That's the biggest question this morning. Pastor, where's the train? (laughs) But imagine the, the tree farmer standing over there by the Christmas tree, and imagine he's explaining Christmas trees and tree farming, and he's standing next to the tree, right? And he says, you know, now, now take this tree, for example. And he's explaining it right there with a Christmas tree. You would all get it. You would be like, I understand. Why do you get it? Because we live in America in the year 2023, and we're used to this, and we know what Christmas trees are. Now, time out. I just want you to understand this. Imagine you lived in Saudi Arabia. Imagine that you live there in the middle of the desert, and uh, you were raised Muslim and your family was Muslim and, and you didn't have Christmas trees. So imagine here, let's tell you a picture of what it would look like in the desert of Saudi Arabia. So imagine this was your dad and you grew up in this area. You're Muslim and you never had Christmas trees and there's no forests. There's no Christmas tree farms. And that same Christmas tree farmer is there talking to you in the middle of the desert, talking to you about Christmas trees and what you do when you take a dead tree into your house and how you try to make it look alive at least until December 26 and putting presents under the tree and hanging the ornaments and, and, and plugging in the Christmas lights and how to raise the tree and how to prune the tree and cut the top off. Would you understand what a Christmas tree farmer is talking about if you lived in this photo? No, you'd be like, what? Why would you bring a dead tree and put it in your living room? This is so weird. You know, and what's a Christmas tree? I mean, you know, we have cactus, or I don't know what they have out there, but, but, but just not, you know, you couldn't imagine a Christmas tree farm, and, and people grow, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of acres of trees here in Wisconsin, and you cut them down, and you put them in your living room for a couple weeks, and you throw them away. You could build houses with that. You could have firewood. I mean, there's a lot you could do with it. But, you know, they, they'd be like, I just don't get it. Well, why don't you get it? Well, you don't get it because you're, li- you're living in Saudi Arabia. You're in the middle of the desert. There's no forest. I just give you that simple illustration to kind of get you to understand the bottom half of chapter 8 and even parts of chapter 7. We don't get it because we're not living there in that time. So a lot of dialogue takes place. There's a lot of confrontation taking place in chapter 8. That, that just is hard for us to get. But let me say this. You can and I can study the Bible and we can study the scriptures and you can understand what chapter 8 talks about. You can. 
Jesus said it all throughout his ministry. You know, search the scriptures, search the scriptures, understand that, know what the scriptures say. So you could, you could study chapter 8, you could understand it, you could get it, and, and it could be in your brain, and you could say, you know, okay, I get what they're talking about. Uh, for the sake of time today, we're going to kind of move through the big picture of John chapter 8, and kind of, I just kind of want to give you an overview of what's happening. If you have a Bible, look at John, look at chapter 8. Let's remember where he's at. Look at verse 2. And early in the morning, he came again into the what church? Where is he at? He's at the what? He's at the temple. And all the people came into him and sat down and taught him. So, so remember, all the people there at the temple where he's at, these are religious people. They're very smart people. The, the, these are people, if you hung out at the temple in Jerusalem, this is like people at seminary, okay? This is a deep, these are people who are deep thinkers, they know the scriptures, right? They get it. They're, 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 they're really religious. You know, this isn't the casual person that shows up for church once in a while. This isn't the cheester. You know, these are, these are people that are really into, these are really big students of the Bible. Remember that. They're, they're students, well, they don't know the whole Bible, students of the Old Testament scriptures, students of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So very, very learned people in that segment. Let's go down to verse 12. This is where we left off. Then spake Jesus, this is right after the woman caught in adultery, okay? This is the next thing that happens. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Do, do me a favor today, underline those, what, seven words there. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, I don't know this. I could imagine this. Because they're celebrating the the. the the wanderings of the Jewish people, because they're, they're talking about that. I imagine Jesus is there by the temple, and there's probably a whole bunch of candles being lit because they would light a lot of candles for these feasts. Why? Because they're remembering the fact that God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire by nighttime and by daytime. Now, just like the Christmas tree farmer might be by the Christmas tree and say, this is a Christmas tree, and I'm a Christmas tree farmer, right? I'm kind of imagining that Jesus is standing there by some candles. They're talking about, 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 about remembering the fact that God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire, and these candles represent that. I'm guessing he's standing by some candles, and he's kind of going, yeah, I'm the light of the world. Whoa. Now, just imagine what those people are saying. They're like, mm, excuse me, do you understand what we're celebrating? Do you, do you know what we're doing? The fact that he says this at this timing I think isn't just a casual thing. He'd already told them that he's the bread of life and he's the living water. But I don't think it's just some passing thing. I think we have to remember the context. Where he's at, what's going on, all these candles probably being lit there. He's by the temple, he's there in Jerusalem, and they're celebrating these feasts, and, and he says this. Now, now tell you what, just for fun, let's look at it. Exodus in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13 Look at verse 21. This is, is when the, the children of Israel are wandering. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them, what's the next word, church? To give them light, to give them light to go by day and by night. So God led them with this pillar of fire, this pillar of light. So what was God, what was, I should say, what was Jesus saying Here's what I believe he's saying. He's standing there next to the candles, and he's, he's not just saying casually, yeah, I'm light too. He's saying this. He's saying, I am that light that you're celebrating today. I'm the God 
who literally led your forefathers through the wilderness. You know that this light we're talking about, to give them the light? I am that light. Wow. I mean, could you imagine them saying this to the people and they're going, you're saying you are our God, you are literally that light that led our great-grandfathers and grandmoms and all of our, you know, all of our heritage. You led them? Yeah, it was me. Whoa! Now imagine what kind of a stir, what kind of an uproar that would cause with the people. I mean, these are very religious people. They're, they're very, you know, uh, 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 into the, the, the tradition and the sacrament and all that kind of stuff. And, and here's Jesus saying, you know what? I'm the light of the world. You know, it's interesting, a couple pages earlier in the book of John, he says in in, in chapter 3, he said, men love darkness rather than light. Now, it's going to be interesting what we're going to see in the story. They're not happy with him saying this. This is not a good thing that he said this. It's a true thing that he said this, but you're saying that you're light. Now, I don't know, you and I would think, you know, that'd be great if we, you know, met Jesus and he said, I'm the light of the world, we'd all say, yes, Amen. But these people, this time, they're so close, they don't realize they have literally just walked right next to the light of the world, and they're, they're missing who he is. Yeah, I think it's interesting, even today, the days that we live in, you know, right has become wrong, and wrong has become right. Have you kind of noticed that in our society? It seems like it's been a lot worse in the last 20-so years. It's like going into a store, a clothing store, and, and imagine, you know, men, you walk into a clothing store, um, and you're going to buy a suit, and, and you go to the suits where all the suits are, and you see suits for $12. Wow, a $12 suit. And then you walk over here to the, you know, where the socks are, and you see a pair of socks for, for $700. Wow, what happened? Someone switched the price tags, and they changed the price tags on you. I kind of feel like in our society today, someone switched the price tags. What used to be wrong is now embraced and celebrated as being right. What used to be considered right is now being condemned as being wrong. It's literally like the price tags have been switched. Listen, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this was the same thing that was happening back then. Men would rather have darkness than have light. Think, does that even make sense? I mean, logically, it wouldn't make sense. Don't you think people would rather have light than darkness? Well, we think that. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The society has gone the way there's just no, no value. There, there's, there's, there's no value to light, and it's the exact opposite of what you would think it would be. The reason, church, that, that there's so much sin and corruption and evil in this world, here, listen, is because it's spiritual darkness. The, the reason that we're not having problems in, in our country and all around the world, and that there's wars and rumors of wars, you know, is not because that there's Democrats in office. Church, get that out of your mind. Sometimes we say, well, if Ronald Reagan came back, you know, occupied, you know, the White House. Little heads up, Ronald Reagan's not coming back, okay? He's, he's been in the grave. He's not coming back to life. If he did come back, it'd be creepy. Um, yeah. But if we just had a Republican in offer, no, no. The problem is men love darkness rather than light. Why, you know, you see, we see on our Friday night program, you know, someone that sticks a needle in their arm. Well, why? Why does someone do that? Why? Not because they don't have enough government aid, not because there's not enough government programs, not because we need another law. Oh, yeah, we need another law to tell people to stop using drugs. Oh, that'll help. No, the reason people have track marks on their arms is because what? They're in love with darkness. There's no spiritual light. They don't know anybody. They haven't seen it. They don't get it. True light, true light of the world doesn't just say, look, that's dark. True light says, listen, 
there's an escape from the darkness. There's a way out. There's hope. This is not something you have to be stuck with. You know, again, I'm thinking about the woman uh, that was caught in adultery. Literally, the story that just happened. Saying, listen, I'm the light of the world. I want you to understand that. There is spiritual darkness. There is darkness, but I'm the true light. And, and, And I think it's interesting if you go home and you study John chapter 8 on your own, what you're going to see is an awful lot of opposition to Jesus. It's just the dialogue is going back and forth, and there's this, this match going on. This, this, these, these people just keep railing on Jesus and keep just going on him. He was facing a lot of opposition. Church, let, let me encourage us on something as, as, as Christians. Um, when you have the truth, there's going to be opposition. Jesus is the light of the world. He's, he's sinless. He's perfect. He's flawless. He can do miracles. He can raise people from the dead. And he's still faced with opposition all the time. Don't think that we're exempt, you know, just because we live in America in the year 2023, that, that, that there's not going to be opposition because we're Christians. I, I, think, I think the state of our country is today is this. If you put a bumper sticker in your car that says, God bless America, I think people could drive by a honk, hey, God bless America, that's great. You, know? you put a bumper sticker in your car that says, Jesus is the only way, you're going to get run off the road. Yeah, God, bless America, that's great. But Jesus is the only way, whoa, too (laughs) narrow-minded. Don't do that. That's how our society is. That's That's how backwards things are not just in our country, but in the world, the way it is today. And, and all this is going on, all this opposition, all this kickback to Jesus is going on. And it's interesting, as we're going to look at here next, what does Jesus keep doing? Does, does Jesus preach, you know, moral living? Well, I think it'd be good to teach moral living. There's nothing wrong with teaching moral living. But he doesn't break into a sermon on moral living. Does, does Jesus teach about... Um, about changing government, that's what the people wanted. Well, I think sometimes it's good to have a change of government. That, that would have been a good thing, especially for those people. They were, they were kind of entrapped by Rome. But that's something that they needed. But in the midst of talking to all these unsafe people, he's in a very religious atmosphere, over and over again, what would Jesus do? I'll tell you exactly what Jesus does. We see it in John chapter 8. He keeps hammering the gospel over and over and over again, he starts out by saying, just so you know, I'm the light of the world. And, and, and these next 50 or so verses, he just keeps going into the gospel. The midst of this persecution, the midst of the frustration, here's something Jesus isn't doing. He's never debating anybody. You know, we got to be very careful, church. Our job as Christians is not to be debating people. We, we tell people the truth. Tell them the truth. Jesus is the light of the world. But, but we don't get into the debates with other people about, well, what do you mean? And, how you say, and let's, let's, let's teach our kids to debate and argue. No. Teach your kids to tell what the truth is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Period. I don't have to debate this. It's truth. We don't need to debate truth. The truth is truth. And, and Jesus just goes right into it. And, and, and so much of this time, he's just going over and over again. I am going to give the gospel over and over again. Look down in John chapter 8. Let's, let's go down a little bit. Let's get to the heart kind of what he starts to telling them. And again, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter uh, on your own and to really study. It's a fascinating study. Then said Jesus again, underline that word again in your Bible in 21, again, unto them. I keep going over this. I go my way and you shall seek me. You shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. 
So again, he's telling them, he doesn't give up. I'm going to keep giving them the gospel. And, and, and it's interesting in this verse, I wanted to pause in this verse for a second, because I want you to understand something. Uh, just so I go my way, just seek me, you'll die in your sins. Okay, this word sins, when we look up this word sins, is actually a singular word, sin. It's actually a sin. And, and I remember I had someone ask me, so what, what is the sin? What is, is it? Is it you shall die in your sin? Like the one thing I stole the cookie from the cookie jar, I lusted, I murdered, what is it? Well, the sin is, is very clearly this. It's a sin of rejecting who I am. If you read the next few passages, he goes on, he makes it pretty clear. The fact that, that you have rejected that I am the Messiah, that's what sends you to hell. The sin of rejection, okay? We're all born of the sin nature, and either we accept the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he, he paid that sin nature, or he paid for that debt, we accept that, or we say, no, I'm not accepting it, I'm rejecting the fact that you paid my sin debt. That's what he's talking about right here. He's saying, listen very carefully, that's what's going to happen, and, and, and he says, it's, it's inevitable, look what he says, you shall die. <laughs> In a certain amount of time, it's inevitable, it's going to happen, you're going to die, and, and he said, you know what, if you don't accept the fact that I am who I am, and I'm the Messiah, I'm going to a place that you're not going with me. I'm going to heaven, and you're not going there. There's no second chance. There's no second start on it. He just says, that's just the way it is. Go down to verse 30. John chapter 8, let's look at verse 30. And he spake these words, many believed on him. Would you do me a favor and underline your pen, with your pen, the word many. Many believed on him. Then look at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples in my, indeed. Look at verse 32. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Now, those are pretty powerful words, and, and the next 25 verses are a dialogue, really, about those words. But let's pause. Let's look at verse 31. Let's go back to verse 31. Let's look at it. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So, so there's a group of people. Some of them, many of them believed, but there's also a group of people that didn't believe. So he's talking to the ones that believed. If you continue in my word, then... Are you my disciples indeed? Now, look at that passage. Let's look at it. Note what he doesn't say. Look at that verse. Look at what he doesn't say. Sometimes when you read the Bible, if you look at what's not said, you can explain it sometimes better than even looking at what was said. Look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you continue in my word, then you are believers indeed. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say. It doesn't say, if you keep studying then you're definitely a believer. No, he says, if you keep studying, keep learning about me, he says, you're, you're disciples. There's a difference, church, between a believer and a disciple. A disciple is the word literally for the word student. Not every student of the Bible may even be a believer. There's seminaries all across the world <laughs> by different faiths, and they may study the Bible. They may be a student of studying that doesn't make them a believer, doesn't make them a Christian. Just because someone goes to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? Just because you sit in your garage all night doesn't make you a car. <laughs> but, and, and this is what he's saying. Those of you that are believers, you know, I tell you what, if you keep studying, keep learning about me, you're truly a student of mine. You're, you're truly a, a disciple of mine. I remember I had the, a guy one time say, no, no, he's talking here about, about a, a disciple being a believer. And he says, you have to keep studying the Bible in order to be a believer. That's nice, but that's not what the Bible says. 
It doesn't say if you study the Bible, you'll be a believer. It says if you study about me, you're, you're my student, okay? Just because you go to school, right? You know, you got to be in class studying. You could go to school and sit in study hall or sit in gym or, or hide in a bathroom stall all day. It doesn't make you a student of it, okay? You've got to be studying. You've got to be active. You've got something you have to be doing. A student, someone that's, that's a disciple, doesn't party the whole time, but they're actually uh, 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 rolling up their sleeves. They're learning. They're being a learner. Look at verse 36 of John chapter 8. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What makes you free? The truth. The truth of the gospel. The, guys, listen. The, the gospel not only sets us free from the penalty of sin, right? We don't have to pay our sin debt, but the gospel sets us free from the power of sin. The more that we grow in Christ, the more that we're discipled, the more that we study God's word, the freer we are from, from the sins and the addictions that hold us back. Why? Because we're becoming a student. We're, we're a disciple of the things of God. What makes us free? Knowing the truth, getting to know more about God. God knows us. We're his children but he says, I want you to read this, I want you to understand, I want you to grow and, and know what I expect from you, know what, what I expect for you to learn. This is called sanctification. What are we free from? Well, we're, we're free, we're free from, from all kinds of bondage that the world puts on us. Do, do we ever just stop for a second and just think about what kind of bondage our society is in? We, we, think, we think we live in America, we're the freest people on the face of the earth. Well, yeah, that's true. We're also the people with the most bondage in the world. I was looking at some stats this last uh, couple weeks. In 2023, and, and this is just Milwaukee, southeast Wisconsin. This is not the world. This is not all of Wisconsin. This is our little corner of the world, southeast Wisconsin, Milwaukee County. So far this year, there's been 161 homicides in Milwaukee so far. 161. It's only the middle of November. I wouldn't be surprised, unfortunately, if that number doesn't cross 200 by the end of the year. That's just Milwaukee. I'm not talking Madison. I'm not talking all the rest of the state. I'm not talking about Chicago. We're not talking about New York. We're talking about one little corner of our state. There's been 161 homicides so far. Are people living in freedom, church? They're not. They're living in bondage. And so, well, pastor, what we need is more law enforcement. What we need is more gun control. What, that's what we need, more laws on the books. And if there was one more law, people wouldn't commit any more homicides. No, I'll challenge you on that. What we need is the light of the world. What we need is the truth that truly sets free. Know the truth and you'll be set free. Get to know who Jesus is and that will change you. That's what we need. We need to be spreading the gospel more. Notice, Jesus isn't preaching moral living when he's talking to these people. He's saying, you've got to get it. You've got to understand. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. Get to know me more. You'll find freedom. Our, our little corner of the world is not experiencing freedom. It's experiencing terrible bondage. How about this? I looked up drug overdoses, deaths in, in our little corner of the world. Look at this graph. And this only goes up to 2021. Church, so it goes back to 2014. Is it getting better or is it getting worse? What is it? You say it. It's getting worse. Oh, okay. One more law. Boy, I tell you what, if we just had, you know, a Republican governor, it would change that. <laughs> really? You really think so? One more law. You think the people that are overdosing on heroin are reading the laws? You know, I was going to shoot up tonight. Oh, wait, hold on. There's a new law. 
Don't overdose. Well, okay, thank you. I'm so, I'm so glad they told me that. No. What do these people need? They need the what? The truth. They need to know about Jesus. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. How about, how about suicides? This number blows me away. Take a look at this graph of suicides. Don't you think with how good things are, just I'm talking, hey, we're not in Gaza, we're not in the Middle East, we're not in the middle of a war, we have air conditioning, we have cars, we have heat, we have food, no one in Wisconsin is starving, there's more food pantries than people know what to do with, more food goes in the garbage than they can get rid of, don't you think, don't you think this would continually be getting less? It's getting worse, suicides, that doesn't even make sense, that's, that's like the last resort, that's like there is no hope, Why? Because I'm not free. I'm in bondage. This is, the nat- this is the natural result of being in bondage, church, is what? The ultimate end is suicide. That's, that's where it has to lead to. And what people don't need is another law. We don't need more government programming. What we really need is the truth. We don't need more legislation. We don't need more rules. What we, 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 the problem is we're not looking at the instruction book of how to really live a life of true freedom. You know, we just look at professional athletes. We look at, 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 at famous people on television and some of that. Over and over again, I don't know about you, but when I see stuff on the news, it's like it's not getting better. You know, it's like it's always getting worse. There's more divorce. There's more murder. There's more problems. True freedom is, is growing in the Lord. True freedom is, is understanding what God wants for my life and living that lifestyle. You know, I think about a baby. You take a newborn baby, and you, what do you do? Take a newborn baby, and, and you put it maybe into a playpen. The child has freedom where? Inside the playpen. You have all the freedom you want, but I put these, these, this playpen up to, to show you this is what's expected of you. This is how you, how you should live. And there's freedom. And then as they get a little bit older, what do you do? You put a gate on the door, right? And they can play in the whole bedroom, and there's a gate. And then you say, well, the gate's off. You can play, you know, and the entire basement is all yours, or the entire living room, the entire upstairs is all yours. Or, or then go into the backyard. We have a fence in around the backyard. You're, you're free within the backyard, what happens a lot of times, especially with second-generation Christian kids, Christian school, homeschool, public school, doesn't matter where, what, what, what is our youth always wanting to do? Look over the fence. Well, it sure looks like a lot more fun over there. And those of us that are older, we look back and say, no, it's not. <laughs> the safest place, the more fun you're ever going to have in your entire life is on this side of the fence. Trust me. No, no, I want to go. I want to exchange all these boundaries I have and, and have the bondage. I want to be just like the world. Church, Kids, young people, you want to be just like the world? What? Why? We have people here on Friday nights for our addiction recovery program that are begging and pleading and praying and crying. I'm trying to get out of that into your backyard because it's awful out there. A lot of you would testify and agree with me in that. You said, I've been over there. It's terrible. Why would anybody want to go over there? It's disastrous. It's, it's awful. It's, it's just It's shocking. True freedom isn't saying, what's wrong with this? True freedom is saying, what's right with this? But young people, let me encourage you. Young people, when you make a decision about whatever, about your job, about your schooling, about your education, about who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, I'm begging you, don't ask the question, well, what's wrong with this girl? What's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with going to that job? Don't ask that question. You're asking the wrong question. What the question you need to be asking is, is this the best choice? 
for me? What's right with this? That's what you ought to be asking. When, when, when you come time to start dating someone, don't ask, well, what's wrong with? What you ought to be asking is, is this the best choice for me? Is this what God would have me to do? Is this the best choice? Or educational, where we're going to move to, or what kind of job we're going to have. Not what's wrong with it. Is this the best choice? Is this the best choice that I can make as a Christian? Because as a Christian, guys, listen, we ought to be experiencing freedom from an awful lot of things that hold us in bondage. I demand a real quick list. It's not an exhaustive list, a real quick list. Let's look at it real fast. Things that I, I believe that knowing the truth, knowing more about God keeps us free from. Here's my quick list. Write this down if you've got a pen. Take some notes on it. Super fast. I, I think as a Christian, we ought to learn to be free from worry. Now, worry's a big one. Worry, we struggle with worry. First Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about tomorrow because I know the one who holds tomorrow. How about anxiety? Philippians 4, 6. Be careful. Be anxious or worried for nothing. But in everything you have, everything you're anxious about, give it to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Now about depression, Psalms 34, 1 through 4. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise is always on my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord and humble uh, shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from my what church? My what? Whew. Know the truth. And the truth is what starts to set us free. How about Lack of contentment. Man, I just, you know, I wish I had what my neighbors had. I wish I had what my parents had. Philippians 4. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned whatever state I am, I can be content. I, I know how to be poor. I know how to be rich. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. How about fear? John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. All about loneliness. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with the things that you have. For he had said, church, let's read the next few words together. I will. What? Do I really have to be alone? Am I truly ever alone as a Christian? No. My Heavenly Father promises this. Know the truth. The truth is what sets you free. How about just having a defeated attitude? Romans chapter 8, look down at verse 31. What shall we say uh, uh, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 30, uh, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Church, where do we find our freedom from? Know the truth, get to know God, and the knowing God, getting to know about what God desires from us, that's what sets us free. It doesn't say, it doesn't say get involved with music. Well, there's nothing wrong with getting involved with music. He says, no, get involved with me. Get to know who I am. Study. Do you take the Bible, church? Do we take the Bible and do we honestly study it? Now, don't raise your hand. Don't answer it. But just be honest with yourself. When's the last time you took your Bible and you read it? Well, I hope it was this morning. I hope it was today. I hope it was this week. 
When's the last time you actually studied from the, something from the Bible? You did a devotional. You read something. You're, maybe you talked with a friend. Did, are you involved in any of the, the small groups or discipleship programs we have in the church? Well, no, I don't have time. Church, all I can say is know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you struggle with something, you need to spend time here. How about reading a good book about Jesus, about God, about the virtues of God? Well, pastor, let me just tell you, I just read a really good book about, about saving America. All right. <laughs> That's nice, but saving America is not studying the truth, okay? There's a big difference. There's nothing wrong with saving America. God bless America. That's great. But we spend an awful lot of time listening to podcasts or listening to radio shows or doing all that so we can know about, you know, saving America. We really need to be focusing some time on learning to know the truth. When's the last time you spent some time praying? Have you spent time uh, honestly in prayer, praying to God? God would, you know, this, I'm struggling with this. God, I need help in this. He said, know the truth. Look down at John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Have, have you spent time doing this? God, have, have you prayed, dear God, would you teach me your ways? When's the last time, how about this, you actually got together with another Christian, maybe in one of our small groups, one of our Bible studies, maybe during one of our worship services, and, and I love us being together. I, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, can I tell you something? I'm not a huge fan of online. I'm just not. I know there's people watching online because they can't be at church. I understand that. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're watching. I think it's great. We have a lot of people that view online. I, I, okay, I think it's great if you can't make it here. If you can make it here, here's why I think it's important. Here's why. Because we can rub shoulders with each other, okay? We can rub elbows and we're talking, we're living life together, we're getting their input, man, I'm struggling with this, we're getting people to pray with us, we're getting people to put their arm around us, we're getting a hug when we need it, we're giving people to challenge us. Hey, have you ever read this passage? You need to read that. That may help you out with what you're going with, with life right now. That's what we need. That happens in community. That happens when we're together. Dear God, I, I want someone to lean into my life. Church, don't forget. God uses people to help us, okay? Sometimes God may be using the person you're sitting next to to, to, to throw an elbow or put a burr in your saddle. And, oh, boy, yeah, you're right. Don't, don't, don't kick back if God uses a, a family or a loved one or a good friend in your church to help you see something the right way. And someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've been praying about your situation, praying about what you're going through. Do you ever think about doing this? out of my business. Well, hold on. Maybe God's asking that person to confront you on something to get you to wake up. Do you ever think about that? Do you, do you realize that God uses people? Okay? <laughs> you hear me give the illustration all the time. You know, dear Lord, pray that God would work through our pastor and we'd grow through our pastor. Lord, please use that. We pray that. Dear God, help that. Work through our pastor. And the pastor gets up and preaches the message and we get, oh, back off. You guys are meddling in my business. Hold on. Is it possible that God's using your pastor to convict us? possibly, maybe, <laughs> you should. It's a good thing. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. I'm the light of the world, he says. Read some good books. Spend time praying. Spend time with others. Spend time uh, in the Word. And then I tell you what, look at the very last verse, verse 59 of chapter 8. Verse 59 of chapter 8, and we'll be done. I just think it's interesting. Then took they up stones to cast at him. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're the light of the world. And what are they trying to do, church? They're trying to kill this guy. That's what, that's what they do with the truth. I don't want to hear it. I want to kill this guy. But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Uh, I had someone ask me, said, Pastor, how do you think God did that? How do you think Jesus got out of all those people? 
Do you think he magically disappeared? No, here's what I think. This is my two cents. You know what I think he did? It says he hit himself. I think he took someone else's coat or something like that, put it over his head, and I think he just walked right through the middle. <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, maybe there was a miracle there, maybe there wasn't. I, it says he hit himself. Guys, listen, we always don't have to be the martyr, okay? He knew it wasn't his time to die. He knew that wasn't the way to die. He knew that now is not the time for this to happen. I think he was wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And I think he said, you know what? Now is not the time for this argument. Excuse me, I think I'm just going to head out right now. And I, I think he just walks out. I just, that's what my two cents are. <laughs> but, but over and over again, this conflict happens, and over and over again, church, what would Jesus do? I'll tell you exactly what he'd do. He'd give someone the gospel. Over and over again, he goes back to the gospel. Over and over again, he goes back to God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, church, say it with me, with what? It doesn't say whosoever turns from their sin, whosoever repents, whosoever stops sinning, whoever, whosoever stops doing drugs. It says whosoever what? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. There's nothing you can do, nothing I can do. It's simply believing, trusting, accepting, God, I'm a sinner. I can't pay it. But I know your son died on the cross. He rose again. He paid it. I can just accept it. It's a gift. It's a Christmas gift to me. I can accept it. God, I realize your son paid my debt. He paid the mortgage for me. I accept that today. I'm trusting you as my Savior. That's the good news of the gospel. Not anymore, not any less. That's it. Have you shared that with someone this week? Have you? I'll tell you what, the fastest way to get over depression, I'll tell you right now, anxiety, give someone a gospel track. You'll be over depression in about half a nanosecond. Okay, you will. Why? Because you're stopped focusing on your needs and now you're concerned about someone's eternity. That'll change your thinking real quick. Let's close with a word of prayer. Let's be done today. Father, it's been a good study in John chapter 8. Wow, there's a lot here. Thank you for setting the example that when times are hard and there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of dialogue going on. He sticks to the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus stuck to the gospel. We're, we're thankful. The whole chapter is about him giving the gospel. Thank you. Lord, I pray you would encourage us, each and every one of us, the pastor included, to continually learn and be your student, be your disciple and grow and know what it is that you desire for us. Know what it is that you expect from us. Know what, what it is that, that you tell us how to live our life. Help us to know the truth, and the truth won't put us in more bondage. It'll give us true freedom. Lord, maybe someone this morning is trusting in you as Savior. Someone this morning is, for the first time, believing that Jesus Christ died on that cross, paid as their sin debt. I ask, Lord, you give them a special blessing this morning as they now know for certain, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that they do have an eternity waiting for them in heaven. Thank you for all you've done in your name we pray. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.